This is a mini maidle. You couldn't find anything more nauseating than what goes on in Berlin, quite openly every day. The people there don't know how low they have sunk. Evil does not know itself there. That town is doomed more than Sodom ever was. Politics, poverty, cabaret, and sex are four words that define Weimar Berlin. Forget Paris, London, and New York. In the 1920s, Berlin was the city where anything could happen, and you could get anything you wanted. Against a backdrop of political unrest, hyperinflation, and extreme poverty, artists, writers, scientists, and intellectuals flocked to the city to taste its decadent nightlife. It became an island of sexual liberation, where gays, lesbians, and bisexuals lived openly and all desires could be fulfilled. Berlin's infamous cabaret scene was the centre of it all, producing famous entertainers such as Anita Berber and Marlene Dietrich. The novels Goodbye to Berlin and Mr. Norris Changes Trains are perhaps the best known and most insightful literary accounts of Berlin at that time, and have gone on to spawn movies and stage shows like Cabaret. The novels were penned by Christopher Isherwood, a young, upper-middle-class Englishman who, by his own account, moved to Berlin in 1929 for the boys. He settled in Nollendorfplatz, Schöneberg, a once-rich area which by that time was home to tenement buildings filled with a bankrupt and decaying middle class. Schöneberg also happened to be Berlin's gay district, and still is today. We spoke to Brenda Nash, one of Berlin's foremost experts on Weimar Entertainment and Christopher Isherwood, about Weimar Berlin and why it still interests so many people. Uh, my name's Brendan, Brendan Nash. I have lived in Berlin just coming up for four years now. Uh, the, I moved here from Scotland uh, in 2008. When we moved to Berlin, I discovered that the house we lived in backed on to the house that Christopher Ishwood lived in when he was here from 1929 to 1933. And that sparked my interest. And it's two years later, three years later, it's, it's now a website and a walking tour. Why do you think people are so interested in Isherwood and Berlin at this time? What, what is the fascination? It was an iconic time. It was, it was so short-lived. It was just 14 years. And so much happened. And it came out of the disaster and tragedy of the First World War and ended in an even bigger tragedy and disaster. Uh, it's referred to often as a dance between two flames. You know, the, this iconic, incredibly progressive, modern city that was so soon crushed. The Weimar Republic was established in 1919 after Germany's defeat in World War I. Weimar was Germany's first attempt at democracy, but it was plagued with political and economic instability. The country had 13 chancellors in 14 years, and Berlin was a scene of daily street battles between communists, Nazis, and other political forces. Economic depression and hyperinflation wiped out people's savings, unemployment was rampant, and many were forced into prostitution, even pregnant women and entire families, making Berlin the destination for sex tourism. The cabaret scene married hedonistic, innovative, and political aspects of the time. Cabaret bars popped up all over the city, 
but perhaps the most famous one was the El Dorado at Mottstrasse 24 in Schöneberg. The infamous venue was a favourite hangout of Berlin's transvestite and transgender community and featured regular performances by the openly lesbian artist Claire Waldorf. Waldorf was known for her wiry red hair and brash singing style. Wenn die Roller wieder flitzen, dir erst manke Beine mang, und die Kegelbrüder schwitzen, oven Kremser mit Gesang, wenn der Wurst mag seine Wiener wieder los wird wie noch nie, Mönch, dann ziehen die Berliner, Mönch, dann ziehen die Berliner nach der Laubenkolonie, nach der Laubenkolonie. Berlin was a haven for lesbians at the time. The city was teeming with lesbian-only bars and political clubs. There were dozens of newspapers reporting on lesbian issues, and there was even a guidebook dedicated to lesbian Berlin. It seems everyone wanted to be a cabaret artist. One nightclub owner even held an X-Factor-style competition for aspiring performers, as Brendan explains. There was, however, one particular cabaret venture that would be very familiar to a modern-day audience. Um, it was called the Cabaret de Namenlossen, the cabaret of the nameless, and it, was, it ran on a Monday night at the Weissmaus Cabaret in Friedrichstrasse. It was, um, it was the idea of a, a Berlin compere called Eric Lewinsky. He advertised in the Berlin papers for acts, and on the first time he advertised, he got 175 replies. Uh, he, put, he put everyone on, and up to 15 acts a night. Needless to say, the acts were, were dreadful. Um, some, were, some thought it was their big break, and they were on the road to fame and fortune. Others were um, you know, just you know, hopeless amateurs. Um, Quite a few of the people taking part were actually quite mentally unwell and disturbed people. Uh, the audience were encouraged to boo and hiss. Eric Lewinsky would jump onto the stage halfway through the, the performance, stop the act, ask the audience to vote if they wanted them to continue on or not. Um, he was the Simon Cowell of his day. And unlike, uh, you know, the, the, the Cabaret de Armand Lawson, unlike its modern-day ancestors, that didn't last very long. This stuff is still going on every Saturday night on primetime television. So there's nothing new. It's all been done before. Berlin's cabaret scene, an era of sexual and social liberation, died when Hitler became chancellor in 1933. The Nazis despised what they saw as Berlin's disgusting decadence and moral indecency. They began a campaign against Berlin's cabaret bars and gay and lesbian scene. High-ranking Nazi officer and founder of the Gestapo, Hermann Goering, ordered the closure of most cabaret bars, including the El Dorado, which was turned into a local Nazi headquarters. Many artists, intellectuals and writers fled the city. Others were not so lucky. Paolo Montes, for instance, was a gay singer and comedian in the Berlin cabaret scene. He fled Berlin in 1933, only to be captured by Nazis in 1940 and sent to Sachsenhausen concentration camp, where he survived only a few weeks under brutal conditions. Isherwood, seeing the writing on the wall, left the city for England with his lover Heinz. His novels are littered with allusions to the Nazis' rise to power. Our street looked quite gay when you first turned into it and saw the black, white, red flags hanging motionless from windows against the blue spring sky. On the Nollendorf Platz, people were sitting out of doors in front of the cafe in their overcoats, reading newspapers. Goering spoke from a radio horn at the corner. 
Germany is awake, he said. An ice cream shop was open. Uniformed Nazis strode hither and thither with serious set faces, as though on weighty errands. The newspaper readers by the cafe turned their heads to watch them pass, and smiled, and seemed pleased. Given the economic crisis, the instability in the Eurozone, and the rise of far-right parties in many countries, it's easy to draw some parallels between Berlin then and now. Berlin is still a relatively poor city, although nowhere near the scale of Weimar, and is attracting foreign and German artists, musicians, students and innovators, who once again view the German capital as a place where they can be accepted and express themselves. There's recession, there's the rise of right-wing politics, there's, it's all... It's all floating around the edges again. You know, you have right-wing parties in, you know, in the, the parliament in Greece. You have, um, you know, you have worldwide recession. You have, um, I think, you can see echoes of it all over Europe. Ich hab noch einen Koffer in Berlin. Berlin has always been open. It's always, uh, it's always been open to to people to come and be themselves. It's always, that's what Berlin has always offered. Going right back to the to the Huguenots, um, come to Berlin and be who you are, and that's still, I think, still very much the case. A big thank you to Brendan Nash from cabaret-berlin.com. We went on his Isherwood walking tour in Nollendorf, on Nollendorfplatz. Around Nollendorfplatz. Around Nollendorfplatz. And it was absolutely amazing. It was so much fun. He's so informed. He's such a good speaker, as you heard. And just a million thanks to him. It really kind of brings you back to the time of Weimar Berlin. So I think, yeah, we'd really recommend you taking the tour. You can find all the details of it on his website, cabaret-berlin.com. And you can email him to arrange a tour time and stuff. You can also find all this information on our own blog page with links to his, his page. The excerpts you heard were read by Brendan from Isherwood's books, Christopher and His Kind, Goodbye to Berlin, and Mr. Norris Changes Trains. We also used um, Brendan's blog extensively in uh, the making of this podcast with our research. So thanks him for that as well. Yeah, and thanks for listening. We hope you liked it. Yeah, bye. Bye. Ich hab noch einen Kopf.